Everybody, welcome. Uh, tonight we are discussing The Gate with Malia Bond and uh, Dustin Grady. Really excited. This is a super important topic that's all over in the scriptures. And so we are going to jump in. And let's see. This this topic is uh, is one that, that Malia brought that she really wanted to go over. She has a bunch of scriptures. We're going to do give some commentary. This is a fun new format with uh, kind of d- discussion-based uh, g- Doctrine of Christ discussions. So, Malia, why don't you start us off? Awesome. Thanks, Dustin. So we're just going to hop right into Matthew 7.13. Uh, everyone's familiar with this one. So uh, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that go that find it. So right away, you're told that there's there's two different groups of people. Right, Dustin? Those that find it and those that don't. Um, at 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Uh, doing the will of the Father, we're going to come back to that one. But this connects to me when I when I came across that it, it connected to me immediately with the parable of the rich man, and that's found in Matthew nineteen twenty one. But before we go there, I, I thought a lot about gates, and and when we were discussing this, you had some input on gates. What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, uh, about gates. So the Savior is always using really relevant uh, concepts um, for, for the listener. And, and so, you know, we have, we have our, we have our cover photo here for the, for the lesson with, you know, everyone that saw the, that event, uh, cover, which is that picture of the shepherd and the sheep inside the, the wall enclosure. So that's, that's, uh, this idea of separating, two properties, right? So when I think of a gate, think about, okay, we have properties, right? One, the one property belongs, uh, thanks, Mark. One property belongs to one group of people and the other property belongs to someone else. And typically it's this idea of uh, a public property and then a private property, right? Um, and, and so the fenced area is the private property. And, and the only way to get into the private property is through the gate in the fence. And so that's, that's this image that we see right, right there. And so in this gospel sense, the private property belongs to the savior. And so it's a smaller portion. And then the wide, broad public property belongs not to the savior, the very opposite actually, um, which is what we're going to look at uh, here. And it seems that's, that's where we're going next right here. Uh, Alma says it really, really aptly here at Alma 5. I say unto you, the good shepherd calls you, and in his own name he calls you, which is the name of Christ. If you don't hearken to the voice of the good shepherd, um, to the name by which you're called, you're not the sheep of the good shepherd. So if you're not the sheep of the good shepherd, (laughs) look at this. Who's your shepherd? If you're the devil. So, And that goes right back to uh, what you just read. Wide is the gate that leads to the bad place. And so 
it starts to get a little harsh here. And you're like, wait a minute, if I'm not inside the little enclosure, then then the devil's mine. And, and it's interesting to just note that um, King uh, Benjamin said the same thing here, but he said it in a softer way. If you're not taking upon the name of Christ, you have to be called by some other name. So he, he says it a lot softer than Alma, but Alma cuts right to the chase, uh, the devil. <laughs> so so in this idea of of being property of the Savior versus property of the devil, it sounds maybe a little bit morbid, but I mean, Jacob kind of said, it's like, well, the devil owns you until you're redeemed. So, so this gate is super important because it's the only way in. That's those, so that, that's kind of what I'm thinking of visually. Exactly. I, I love that because the idea of where are you standing right now? Are we standing on the property that we want to be standing on? Right. <laughs> Have we entered in? So this is a really good concept to understand. Is this hyperbole? Is this just, Christ just saying something that that's just fun for us to think about, or is this real? And that's what we're going to break down is, is what is this? Is this something we should actually be thinking about and focusing on? Or do we just go about our days and be the best we can be? And that's where we go to Matthew 19. We're going to go into the, just talk about this parable real quick. Jesus said unto him, if, if that will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And of course we know um, he wasn't too happy about that. Uh, and again, I say unto you, Christ says down here at 24, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And there's a lot that goes back and forth uh, with whether that was a specific place or whether it wasn't or whether there's a translation there. So I don't want to anyone who's read in that. I don't, don't want to get into the weeds there. Let's just take it as it is. And it, doing a little bit of research, you can find that there is some historical context to this. There were many other gates in Jerusalem that people could enter into. It was really fascinating learning about that. And they all had different names, um, but there are after hour gates for merchants to come and to do business and to be able to watch their, their camels and other things that were outside the gates that they couldn't bring in. But specifically this, this picture that we see right here, you, you see a very small gate. This wasn't a, a big gate, a wide gate that everyone could come in. This was after hours, trusted merchants, you know, they were coming in late, you know, they, they were coming in this area. They could not come in with their cab, uh, camels laden with everything that they needed. As you can see, the guy over here on the side, he has to take everything off. And then is the camel standing up? No, he's kneeling down. You had to completely unburden the camel and bring him in through this teeny tiny hole. And there, there is a passageway that leads to one of the gates of Jerusalem called the needle because it. Uh, was so narrow. And then the little gate at the end was, was what some people believe that he's referring to. So is there something in reality in the gospel? This is another picture of, of what a, a gate would have looked like if it, uh, in this concept, this is called in Jerusalem currently the, the eye of the needle. And a lot of people, you can walk through it, you can see there's just no way, right? <laughs> that you're going to get anything with, with any kind of luggage or anything on it through there. So what is this gate that Christ is saying we can't get through uh, without him? And is, is there any real context to this? Where is this coming from? There's a couple other chapters that go into that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Dustin? Well, I think... <laughs> I think that the most powerful part of that concept is that on the knees kind of thing, like, and the burden, right? 
Um, in fact, I think you, yeah, you have another one here that's really interesting. Let me pull that one up to look at as well. So, so you also included this one. And what does it say here? He's carrying it on his back. He, says uh, ambitions, worldly ambitions. Okay, worldly ambitions. Something here, self. Yep. And then self-love, sensuality, pride, deceit. Right. So that, this is such a great, and the straight gate right here, right? Uh, such a great reiteration of this idea that you have to pull everything off the camel, anything that's uh, strapped to it, and then it's got to kind of get down on its knees uh, to make it through. And that, that to me is, is always been the powerful imagery with that. Even if the idea of this, uh, I have the needle thing isn't a real thing, uh, in ancient Jerusalem, um, that imagery is still powerful imagery that does convey the meaning of what he's meant anyway. Like Jesus sure. is trying to convey that, that idea that it takes humility and letting go of everything to enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, it's not easy for a rich man to enter the kingdom. That's the whole point of it. So, so uh, for those who are listening that aren't familiar with this um, topic, as Malia said, that there is debates about the historicity of this idea, what the eye of a needle is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is a debate, but to me, it doesn't matter because it is the meaning of what the Savior said. Exactly. And that's what leads, in, if you go to Luke 13, 23, you, that's what leads these confused disciples. They're, they hear this and they're like, this is impossible. If, if we can't get a camel through the eye of the needle, um, that's impossible. How in the world is anyone going to get into heaven? And 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 that's what you see here. Uh, few are there. Few that be saved. You know they're they're so like what the heck? No one's going to make it. And then twenty four strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many I say unto you will seek to enter in and should not be able. And that that makes me wonder because I I, I was reading that and I was going wait a minute. You know, anyone who seeks, you know, when you look, when you look at this in context and you, you see that Christ is talking about baptism, which we're going to go into, uh, it, anyone that really wants to get baptized can get baptized. So is, it, it's saying, but many are going to seek to get baptized and they're not going to. So is this a broad way? This doesn't seem very straight and narrow. Well, as we chatted earlier about the idea of, well, maybe it's many seek uh, baptism to find the Holy Ghost. Um, and, and not able to enter. And I think that's worth considering. Another idea that comes to my mind is people seeking. I mean, uh, a lot of people might not necessarily even know the idea of baptism of the Holy Ghost so much because it's not necessarily always talked about, um, in every, in every circle. But what is talked about is being saved or going to heaven or, you know, entering the kingdom of God, stuff like that. So that that's that's a, that's the thing that I think is in my brain pretty safe to say that every Christian and Latter Day Saint is seeking for. Um, but what Christ points out so often, including here, is that all those people who seek are seeking it or think they're seeking it are probably not doing it the right way, or they're probably missing some important thing, which is what he's always pointing out. So pretty important, I think, to understand what this gate is, to make sure we're seeking it, to make sure we're on the path to achieve it, and that we understand when we've achieved it. 
probably, right? And and they, they don't just talk about it there. We've got 2 Nephi 33, 2 through 10. And this is going to discuss a little bit of the hard heart that's spoken of against truth. When you know, my my main goal whenever I teach my kids or I talk with anyone about the, the gospel is I say, I want you to come away from this conversation um, knowing less than you knew when you came to it. And, and <laughs> it's because if you think you know something, you don't go to the Lord. And so I want to rub against a little bit of that comfort and cause you to go, wait a second. Maybe I don't know everything about the scripture that I've read my entire life. And maybe I should be going to the Lord and saying, am I missing something here? And maybe if I hear something that's a little like hmm, uncomfortable, that gets me to go to the Lord. Because what's the whole point of us being here? The whole point of us being here is to build a relationship with Christ. We're here to uh, prepare to enter into his presence, to know him. Nobody else, not our bishop, not our parents, not, you know, aunt and uncle, not even the prophet. We're here to get to know our Savior and our Heavenly Father. So if something that's being taught causes us to go, wait a second, that's great. Because we're building up that relationship to go back to the Lord and dissect this. So you've got 2 Nephi 33 here, 2 through 10. They're talking about some hard truths. Um, Nephi's trying to teach stuff. They're trying to teach stuff. And he's explaining, uh, behold, there are many that harden their hearts against the Holy Spirit that have no place in them. Wherefore, they cast many things away which are written and esteem them as things of naught. So lots of truths that are written, people aren't going to pay attention to it. So we're going to pay attention to a lot of these simple truths and make sure we're not casting anything aside. And he talks about how Christ has redeemed his soul from hell. He's experienced what we're, what we're talking about here. So we love to have firsthand experience. Uh, and then in nine, he's pretty clear again. He has charity for all these people, except he cannot hope for anyone and have hope anyone would be reconciled to Christ, except they what? enter into the narrow gate and walk in the straight path. So again, this sounds pretty specific, right? Yeah. I mean, over and over again, the gate, right? Over and over again, the gate, the gate, and it's always narrow, uh, which I love going back to that picture of the guy carrying the wide beams with all the stuff that's carrying. And, and so defining this, I think, becomes so important when when Alma says, well, if you're not inside that gate and you're not inside that property with, with the fold of the good shepherd, uh, then you belong to the devil, which sounds so harsh. But Jacob agrees. Right. So so I think we need to figure that out. Yeah. And Jacob, I, I, I love that you brought up Jacob. So Jacob six, eight through 11, even he touches on that. So this is at the end of of everything that he's been teaching. And he's basically saying, um, you know, some people are going to deny Christ, the power of God, the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. They're going to make a mock of this great plan of redemption. Well, what's the great plan of redemption? Uh, it's this entering into this gate. Right. So behold, will you reject these words? Will you reject the words of the prophets? Will you reject all the words which have been spoken concerning Christ after so many have spoken concerning him? What has been spoken of him? We, we all through the Bible, all through, you know, all of our scriptures. What does it say? Enter into this gate. Go to Christ. Right. And so deny the word, the good word of Christ and the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost and quench the spirit and make a mock of the great plan of redemption. Know ye not that if ye will do these things, that the power of redemption and the resurrection, which is in Christ, will bring you to stand with awful shame, with shame and awful guilt before the bar of God. That is pretty, pretty powerful. Uh, that's not a place I'd want to be. 
So we want to pay attention to these little things. That So we have this um, pretty solid foundation of a consistent gate in many different of our scriptures, of our uh, foundational scriptures. And so we're going to find out what is this gate by delving into 2 Nephi 31. And we're going to go to 2 through 12. And I want you to pay attention because as we go through this, I want you to see that Nephi is not just uh, going to lay out some important points here. He's also going to give you three witnesses. And as we go through it, see if you can pinpoint three witnesses that he's going to give you in this one chapter. So first we start, he, he has just laid out all of Isaiah. He's just laid out his prophecies and he goes right into, I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. So this is what Christ's doctrine is. There, Joseph Smith said, most correct book on the earth, Book of Mormon. This is the doctrine of Christ. I shall speak unto you plainly according to the plainness of my prophesying. And then um, verse eight, wherefore, no, now, so then he goes into the plainness and, it, and he's talking about um, uh, John the Baptist baptizing Christ. How important that prophet was. He baptizes Christ. Christ goes into the water. He receives a water baptism by John. He comes out of the water. And what happens? The Holy Ghost descends upon him in the form of a dove. And then he explains up here at seven, um, because he's being obedient to the father, even though he's perfect, he's being obedient to the father and keeping his commandments. Verse eight, wherefore, after he was baptized with the whole, with water, the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove. And now Nephi's stopping and he's going again. This shows unto the children of men, so us, the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter. He having set the example. Now, I want you to take a minute because this is what we do. We go, we've read this chapter. We've read these verses. We know this story so well that we go, oh, yeah, he gets baptized, gets the Holy Ghost, we move on. I don't know. Nephi is being super clear here. He's showing you the narrowness and the straightness of this gate. So what is the gate? Was it just a baptismal water? No, it, he, he gets a baptism of water and a baptism of fire or a baptism of the Holy Ghost right here. And it comes from who? It comes from Heavenly Father. And yeah, then, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I think really important notice that he doesn't say anything about the gate until after he's described the whole experience. And we see that that's reiterated later on. Yeah, so that next verse, verse 10, um, follow thou me. So now Christ is talking. Follow thou me, wherefore, my beloved brethren, can we follow Jesus? Now Nephi's back. Say we shall be willing to keep the commandments of the Father. And the Father said, repent ye, repent ye, and be baptized in the name of my beloved Son. And 12, he that is baptized in my name, to him will the Father give the Holy Ghost like unto me. Wherefore, follow me and do the things which ye have seen me do. So we just had Nephi give his testimony of what he saw. He saw these things happen. And then we have Christ saying, yes, this is true. Follow me. And then we have Heavenly Father coming in and saying the words of my son. So you've got three pretty powerful testimonies of what the gate is. And if you can go down to 13. 
And this is where he says, brethren, I know that if you shall follow the son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy, no deception for God, with real intent, repenting of your sins, willing to um, sins, witnessing unto the father that you're willing to take upon you the name and then being baptized, then you enter in. And, and so we can go down to the next one, which is second Nephi 31, 17. And so it's pretty clear. Nephi tells what he sees. Then Nephi bears witness of it. Then Christ says to follow me. And then Heavenly Father reiterates everything they said. And 17, wherefore do the things which I have told you. And I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do. What has he just told you to do? He didn't tell us to go do our ministering, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that that's funny. I think we, we get, this is, this is where it goes back to where you were saying at the beginning, um, many people seek it. They think that what they're doing, they're seeking the kingdom of heaven, but they don't realize what it is that they're trying to get. And so what did we just get told to do? What did we see that our redeemer did um, for this cause? Have they been shown unto me that ye might know if you can scroll up to 18. The gate. So it's been shown that we would know the gate by which we should enter. And then you can't can't mince words here. This is pretty clear for the gate by which you should enter is repentance and baptism by water. So Christ did that. And then cometh a remission of your sins. So remission of sins does not come by the water. Remission of sins comes by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And then are ye in the straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life. Yea, ye have entered in by the gate. So we know what the gate is now. It's not just one thing. It's repentance and it's baptism of water, baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. And you have done according to the commandments of the father. Um, and I'll finish out this verse. And you received the Holy Ghost, which witnesses of the father and the son unto the fulfilling of the promise, which he made that if he enter in by the way, ye should receive. So I'm going to jump in real quick here. Uh, that, uh, that wording. I know has confused me in times before and I know can confuse some people. So I'm just going to walk through that real quick and, and provide some commentary that I want to hear, uh, hear a little bit of your response to this. He says the gate we should enter is baptism by water, semicolon, or it says repentance and baptism by water and then semicolon and then come with remission of sins by fire and the Holy Ghost. So that gives off this idea that the gate is repentance and baptism by water. And then once you've entered into the gate, which is repentance and baptism by water, you get a remission of your sins. Um, and so here's, here's an issue. First of all, in uh, the earlier Book of Mormon uh, versions, including the authorized version of the 1840 and 1842, uh, which I looked at thanks to you mentioning this about punctuation before, that's supposed to be, let me show you right here. Right here, this is supposed to be a colon according to the authorized version. It's supposed to be a colon. All right. So the gate is repentance, baptism by water, which leads to, according to a colon and the meaning of a colon, which leads to a remission of your sins, find the Holy Ghost, meaning it's all part of it. And then as you read here, the very next phrase. So it's almost like Nephi said it this way. And of course, as we've seen other times in the Book of Mormon, these guys are carving in metal plates. So if they don't carve something the most perfect way possible, when we see this several times throughout the book, when they don't carve it the most perfect way possible, they have to re, uh, restate it. And so he restates it, and then you're in this straight and narrow path. So what, what do you say? 
I totally agree. I think that 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 colon is so important because they, they say completely different things in, in this context. And and Nephi does a really good job when we get through the rest of this of laying this out so that once we look at it in a chiasmus structure, there's really no doubt as to what he's trying to get to here. She's fantastic. Um, so after 18, so the reiteration happened several times through 31 by all the different witnesses. And um, the father then comes in and says that these things are true. So verse 19 even, and now my blood brethren, after you have gotten to the straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. And if we can scroll down a little bit. Behold, I say unto you, nay, for you have not come this far, save it were, by the word of Christ and unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. So everything that we get up to this point is given us by Christ. It's all his mercy. So that shows us that he's the gate. It's, it's only him. We're not going to get it through anyone else. He's the shepherd. And that goes back to what you were saying, what you found in Alma and in Mosiah, that shepherd. This is all relying on Christ and all focusing on Christ. There's, there's no one else that's going to give us a key to the gate or get us into the gate. Just, you know, it's super clear, right? But we tend to muddle things up in our heads because of traditions and ideas, and we know it so well. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel. That's what Jacob says in Second Nephi 9, uh, I think 942 or 945. Uh the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he and he employeth no servant there. So everything you just said is confirmed by Jacob in that one statement, that it's only through Christ, and that's it. That's period. So let's look at the chiasmic structure in this. So the chiasmus is a way that the ancient Hebrew used to write in that it would turn the ideas towards the center. So the outside ideas, it, it reminds my, I have a 13 year old doing math and she's doing the foil, you know, first, um, outside, inside, you know, last. And that's kind of, it reminded me of chiasmus. The out, two outer bookends are, will mirror each other. And as you get closer and closer inward, they mirror and mirror until you get to the main point, which is what they want to focus on the most, which was the most important, um, point that these writers were trying to get at. And, it's a beautiful chiasmic structure in 2nd Nephi 31. And so this is the uh, 1835 edition. And so the first that you're going to find, we'll just run through this real quick. But um, you're going to see, wherefore, the things which I have written sufficeth me, save it be a few words which I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. So this is right at the beginning. And then if we go over to the other picture, Look at the very end. So these I, these are both marked with ones, and they're both in pink. Now, and it says, "And now, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and the only true doctrine of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, which is one God." So, same idea. He's beginning it and ending it, saying the doctrine of Christ is conveyed within this one chapter. And then the next portion we go to is going to be the yellow, and this one says basically touches on the straightness of the path, the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter. So there we go. We've got a straight path, a narrow gate. And then we go back to the other one on the last page. 
And now my blood brethren, after you have got into the straight and narrow path. Okay, so he's referencing that gate again. So see how we're moving slowly inward. And then we can just go up to the that next one in orange right there. It says, ye have done according to the commandments of the Father and the Son. And then we'll go back to the other page. Oops, wrong direction. And there it says, and he saith unto the children of men, follow thou me. Wherefore, my blood brethren, can we follow Jesus? Say we will be willing to keep the commandments of the Father. Perfectly mirroring. We're moving inward. He's trying to get us to move all the way inward. And then the next one is, and the Father saith, repent ye, repent ye, be baptized in the name of my beloved Son. And also the voice of the Son came unto me, saying, he that is baptized in my name, to him will the Father give the Holy Ghost like unto me. Wherefore, follow that me and do the things which you have seen me do. And that one's at the bottom of this page. Thank you. Wherefore, do the things which I have told you that I have seen, once again, seeing, um, that your Lord and Redeemer should do. For for this cause had been shown unto me that ye may know the gate by which ye should enter, for the gate by which ye should enter is repentance, baptism, by water, and then come with remission of sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. Perfectly mirrored. And that leads us right to the center. And what's interesting about this, there's actually two small centers, but the, the center and right in the very beginning or in the middle is, is this. So repent of your sins, witnessing it to the Father that you're willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, yea, by following the Lord and Savior into the water, according to his word. Behold, then shall you receive the Holy Ghost. Yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a baptism. And then can you speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One. And then he says it again, because this is the very center. But behold, my beloved brethren, thus came the voice of the Son unto me, saying, After that ye have repented of your sins, and witness unto the Father that ye are willing to keep my commandments by the baptism of water, and have received the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and can speak with the tongue of angels, yea, even um, with a new tongue, even the tongue of angels. And after this, should deny me, it would have been better for you to have not known me. So before we go into that, that last part right there that I want to say something about, it's incredible, right, Dustin? I mean, he it's no doubt what he's trying to convey just through the, the outline here. Yeah. I mean, when, when, uh, when you showed this to me, it blew my mind. I mean, we, we see, we see this structure so frequently, um, but I have yet to put in the type of uh, work like this to actually uncover them like you have. So super brilliant. And once, once you pull that out, then, then you're like, Oh, well, I mean, I mean, I already understood this, but now you understand it from a whole new level. Oh, the entire point that he's trying to make is you have to have this baptism, this three-part baptism, water, fire, and the Holy Ghost. You have to have it, or you don't, you know, you don't obey this, you know, narrowness of the way, straightness of the gate. You don't enter into the gate. You don't get on the path. All the things, right? So that's uh, that. So brilliant. I'm so appreciative that you found that and put that together. Well, what was frustrating to me is I remember being, I mean, my parents were fantastic. They would, we would read scriptures every night as a family. There were six kids in my family. You know, you can imagine the kind of craziness that that was, but we read it. And I remember going through stuff like this and going, why is he repeating himself? We, it was, I, I, part of me thought, does he really not have that much time? I thought it was really hard to carve into this stuff. Why is he saying the same thing? He just said it. He switched three words. And, and when you come to understand how, how in-depth and important these words are um, to our salvation, uh, you see why he did this and how incredible it is that he did this. Um, and then what's what really stands out to me, Dustin, I, I want to know what you think about this, but 
he, so he, he gives us the first part, you know, get, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost um, after the water and the fire. And the second one, he says it again, but then he gives us a little piece of, huh, that's interesting, right at the very end. And after this should deny me, it would have been better for you that ye had not known me. So when I read that, back when I believed, um, oh, well, we get that at eight. We all got it. I thought, oh my gosh. Well, what if what if an eight year old denies it? I I my have I have family members that don't you know agree with this doctrine, even if he was anti um, of you know any religion whatsoever. What does that mean? It's better for them to have not have been born. That is so intense. I mean, most of these people don't realize even when they come into baptism, a lot of kids or even adults don't you know don't have an understanding of any of the covenants that are being made. Is this something that would really pertain? Or is this more of a broad road? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you're bringing up you're bringing up the question that I don't think it's asked often enough. And honestly, I didn't uh, really think about it until relatively recently, last several months, and, and more and more of my friends started asking that. And um, I'm like, okay, that's a good point. And then I start uh, learning better this path that sounds like it's supposed to be for those who are capable of repentance, which means they're capable of wandering off the path and ain't, ain't no eight year old wandering off the path that leads to eternal life. I don't care how troublesome that little kid is. That's not a thing. Right. And so this is, this is talking about those who truly know and truly understand, um, which almost makes me think of the idea, you know, as, as, as i done a lot of you know amateur study of uh, psychology and brain development and stuff like that just on the side because it interests me uh that that doesn't really start happening until you're in your 20s unless you're a special case person which there are a few and their frontal lobe really develops and that's not until early 20s sometimes 25 um when you really can have full cognizance of everything that's going on so to me this is this is not only adult age but it's like super spiritual understanding. So that tells me that this experience is something much more than just, okay, you've got dunked in the water. Now you're a member of the church kind of thing. Right. Right. I absolutely agree. It, 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 even, even just a couple of years ago, I didn't comprehend that. And so being held to that standard is, is, is kind of intense. Um, in fact, let me interrupt again real quick, uh, because I just remembered that um, even, even Elder Bednar uh, was talking about this in 2010. So about 11 years ago in conference, he says, look, when you get ordained or not ordained, confirmed, a member, that's not meaning that you actually have the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this is how you get the gift of the Holy Ghost is the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. He's like, so when you're, that's not, no, no, you get an injunction to go and get it, to receive it. It's not here you have it. And that is the huge difference. Uh, and once we realize that and start applying it, then we start, start chasing up to this idea of, well, how do I get it? And when do I get it? Absolutely. I totally agree. I, I loved it when he made that distinction. And I think we still don't make that distinction in, you know, in the church at all. So, uh, so this, you know, can take us to another witness of this doctrine. So just in case that wasn't clear enough, if you go through and go through um, this chapter 31 on your own and look at the gate, look at the way it's laid out. Let's get a second witness and let's have that witness be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does that sound good? We're going to go to third Nephi 11 and we'll start with 
Oh, I'm sorry. Third Nephi 11, 27 through 28 first. And that's going to give us some good context to go into 31 through 41, which would be next. Okay. And what's really great about going into these ones is we're hearing Nephi do the three witnesses himself, Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father. So we have that support of what the doctrine is, but we get to hear it right from Christ. And for some reason, that's just so incredibly powerful to me when I hear Christ saying it. And so leading into that, it says, and after this manner, shall you baptize in my name for behold, really say unto you that the father and the son and the Holy ghost are one. And I am in the father and the father and me and the father and I are one. And according as I have commanded you, thus shall ye baptize. And there shall be no disputations among you as there have hitherto been. Neither shall there be disputations among you concerning the points of my doctrine as hitherto have been. Points of my doctrine, if you go through the Book of Mormon, Dustin, I'm sure you've seen this, where you see him say, this is my doctrine. Then he's saying, stop disputing my doctrine. He's telling the people who are reading the book that. He's telling his people that. So we must be maybe shirking a little bit on our understanding of doctrine, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a... It's a concept that I hear get tossed around a lot, and I'm not always certain it's being interpreted properly. Um, I mean, the very next verse talks about spirit of contention, right? So definitely there has to be some contention involved for for it to match what he's talking about, first of all. He's not talking about trying to understand the doctrine, which sometimes takes a lot of discussion and debate and sometimes even disagreement. Me and some of my best friends will um, debate all the time, and it sounds like arguing, but we have zero animosity, which means zero contention. There's no, there's nothing there. It's just simply like, oh, I don't think that's right because of this scripture, and I don't think that's right because of this quote, and I don't, blah, blah, blah. and we try and come to a better understanding. And of course, the Spirit brings that understanding better than anything, but Sometimes you have to hash it out to try and because sometimes you don't see something like, well, actually, this phrase doesn't mean that it means this. And this is why I think that and this is some other scriptures, blah, 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 whatever it is. That's important. That's a super important context, because this is always thrown out like we can't disagree about it. We can't say, like, well, no, we need to understand it. And there are plenty of scriptures here in the Book of Mormon, at least, where um, the priests, the elders, the high priests, they had to go out and clarify when people were getting out of the way in the doctrine that happens a few times. It happens in Alma, it happens in Helaman, third Nephi, because apparently it's easy to get it wrong. Even, even when it seems so simple. Those are some of the best discussions I feel like I have. I mean, even you and I have had moments where I'm sitting here going, wait, the scriptures say this and you're going, well, they also say this. So, <laughs> you know, and you take it back to the Lord. So I, I love that you made that distinction. So Christ is, is being pretty specific about that doctrine that leads us into 35 11 31 through 41 now once again watch for the three witnesses that we already discussed he's going to declare his doctrine which he does this is my doctrine that such things should be done away and he's saying any disputations or issues they said behold barely barely saying to you i will declare unto you my doctrine so this is my doctrine this is what you need to know nephi has already laid it out but christ we're getting another witness here and this is my doctrine, and it is the doctrine which the Father hath given me, and I bear record of the Father, and the Father beareth record of me, and the Holy Ghost beareth record of the Father and me. And I bear record that the Father commandeth all men everywhere to repent and believe in me. And whoso believeth in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved, and they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. And whoso believeth not in me and is not baptized shall be damned. 
Very interesting. Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine. I bear record of it from the Father. And whoso believeth in me, believeth in the Father also. And unto him will the Father bear record of me. And he will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. So he says a little bit in, in, in between there, which is why I kept reading. Because it's baptism. And he says saved. But it's baptism. And then he says, um, by you bearing record that you're going to follow Christ by getting baptized by water, then the father comes and the father says, okay, I see that I'm going to now do this part, which only the father can do. And that's give you the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so that, that leads us with the 16, which says, and thus the father bear record of me and the Holy Ghost will bear record unto him of the father and me for the father and I are, and the Holy Ghost are one. And again, I say unto you, ye must repent. You must become as a little child and be baptized in my name where you can in no ways receive these things. Did you have anything to say on those before we go on? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I was ready to comment whether it was now or uh, later. But right here, let's just back up for a second. Verses 33 and 34 go back to the binary structure or the binary image or the binary concept of your Christ's fold or you're the devil's fold, your Satan's fold. And that was such a hard concept for me to ever understand as a kid. And then I just started to think that it was easier to be part of Christ's fold. It was like, well, anyone that believes in them. And so, you know, cause we got to encompass not only the good uh, saints that are out there, but we have to encompass all the good, you know, good Christians that are out there. Even if we think that theologically we might differ on some stuff, right? Well, but once we uncover this, that's not the case. It's like, no, even all of us good people aren't included in Christ's fold until we pass that threshold that uh, that Jacob clarifies in 2 Nephi 9, that Alma was clarifying, that King uh, uh, Benjamin was clarifying, that we were looking at all of them clarifying that same idea that, well, you, well not until you enter that gate, you're not Christ's. And that's, it's a, it's a binary structure that, that feels almost grotesque. Like what me, Satan? Like, I'm a good, I'm a good guy. Like, yeah, I'm not the best, but like, what's, what's the deal there? And it might be hard to reconcile. Um, but once you realize the importance and the high threshold that this is, I'm like, Oh no, I'm not there yet. I'm yeah. I might be a good guy, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. And, and that connects right back to the disciples. The disciples are like, well, can no one be saved? Who in the world is going to get saved then? You know, this is impossible. And that's why knowing what we have to look to and knowing what we need to do is so important. So we're not just out doing work that's meaningless, do, thinking that we're seeking the kingdom. And in reality, we're in this broad road and we're not going anywhere. We don't want to do that. We don't want to waste our time, right? Work smarter, not harder. Um, and, and then so we go down here to 38. Um, oh, wait, scroll down for me. It's a little bit further down. Oh, no, you're right. 38. And again, I say unto you, you must repent and be baptized in my name and become as a little child or you can in no ways inherit the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine. Whoso buildeth upon my rock, builds upon this, builds upon my rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. So there's the, the imagery of the gates again. We've got two gates. Either you're in the Lord's side or you're in the same side, which I know you really are comfortable with that. And whoso shall declare more or less than this. This isn't the only place Christ says this. He's pretty specific about this. Declaring more or less than this, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock, but he buildeth upon a sounding foundation. The gates of hell stand open to receive such when the floods 
come and the winds beat upon them. Therefore, go forth unto this people and declare the words which I have spoken. What's important to understand about this is he's talking to his disciples. He's telling his disciples to do these things. Well, we would go, oh, his disciples are already baptized. They're good. No, this is a process. This is something you have to be seeking. This is something you have to receive personal relationship for. We'll get into that later, but um, this isn't just a one and done. Right, Dustin? Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that, that's, you stole the words out of my mouth, actually. <laughs> um, so if we go back to Third Nephi, Third, uh, Third Nephi 14, 13 through 23. So Christ is pretty specific that there's no other way. And then this is just going to re-solidify that for anyone who maybe thought that that wasn't clear enough. Uh, we've got verse 13, entry in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be who go there and go thereat. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth to life. And few there be that find it. So once again, this isn't a baptism that everybody gets. Um, and what I find interesting, and we, we if we have time, we'll touch on this later. But he immediately goes into false prophets. He gives this distinction about the gate you must enter. You must enter a gate. And then immediately he teaches about false prophets. And I won't go into what that reads because everyone knows that, um, you know, false prophets come in sheep's clothing, know them by their fruits. We'll come back to that. But how important it is to go know this gate and to enter into this gate. And then we're going to, it even touches on the wise or foolish in verse 25. So. Uh, let's see. And then well, I'm going to, hang on, let me interject real quick because I think that's, I think that's really important right here that you brought up for verse, the transition from 14 to 15, because too often in my life, including, uh, as of yesterday, including as of two minutes ago, right before you read this and said this, I go, okay, verse 14, one topic. Oh, but it's 14 is connected to 13 because he says the word because, and then I can connect that because I, I speak. English. But then what I don't speak is under is the law of context or the principle of context, meaning that I see a new verse and I don't see a, ne- a, a, a necessary connecting phrase here like because or therefore. And even if I do see those, sometimes I forget it. I see new verse, therefore I think total new topic. And it even sounds like a new topic because he doesn't say anything about a gate. He doesn't say anything, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so you mentioning that says, okay, are these actually related? That becomes the question, right? And the principle of context says, well, he's not just jumping from one random thing to the next, even though it might sound like it when you read uh, this Sermon uh, on the Mount. This is the Sermon on the Mount repeated here to the Nephites. But when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it might seem like it's very disjointed. This to this to this to this, right? Um, and really when you start understanding the gospel in greater context you're like wait a second this is one context so when it looks like he's jumping from one thing to the next it's not jumping from one thing to the next it's actually sliding into the next connecting topic and we have we have a uh, an episode on that already uh, by Jeff Bartholomew actually that uh, people ought to look up from the from the sermon on the mount and looking at the beatitudes in that same context that uh, I just described and he did a great job of that um so so with this uh, and I don't know if you wanted to, to to look at those, but there are there are a couple other scriptures that tie those together. But I don't know if you, if you wanted to do that. But but just to support that idea that you said, um, these are a con- he is making a connection here that he's keeping the topic 
at hand, and he's adding to that topic by saying, and by the way, false prophets connect to this idea instead of, and I'm changing topics and I'm going to talk about false prophets. So, no, I, we can go into those. I think that'd be fantastic. The other thing is keep in mind who he's talking to. He's, he's teaching the people and he's teaching his disciples. And so he's preparing people to be taught. And he's also warning them of, of what may come. And to be able to test, this is a litmus test for you. If people come this way, they're of me. If they don't, they're not. So someone has to enter into the gate. And so whatever scriptures you want to bring up, we can, there's, there's a couple we can go into too, but you go ahead and pull up yours first if you have them available. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I think uh, just the Doctrine and Covenants one that uh, that you had said you wanted to. So 43, so it's Doctrine and Covenants 43, 3 through 7. And this was one that I would read and I would go, oh, okay. You know, why is he warning so intensely? You know, my um, very limited, very, you know, in the box brain was going, we just follow the prophet. Like, why do we even need this chapter? This seems like a waste. It seems completely pointless. I don't know. And, and, but then when you read it and you have an understanding of the gates, it kind of makes you go, wait a second, what's happening here. And so this is DNC 43 and we're going to start at two actually. So, um, for behold, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye have received a commandment for a law unto my church. So this is pretty specific, right? This is a law that we're supposed to have. Through him whom I have appointed unto you to receive commandments and revelations from my hands. So this is Joseph Smith that he's speaking about. And this shall you know as surely that there is none other appointed unto you to receive commandments and revelations until he be taken if he abide in me. So do you want to read any into any context there before we move on? Uh, no, no, keep going. Okay. But verily, verily, I say unto you that none else shall be appointed unto this gift except it be through him. So Joseph Smith appointing someone specifically for if it be taken from him. So taken from him because of sin um, shall not he shall not have power except to appoint another in his stead. And this is where it gets interesting. Five. And this shall be a law unto you. This is our law that we should be living currently. This is not rescinded. This is a law. That ye receive not the teachings of any that shall come before you as revelations or commandments. Whoa, who's going to give us revelations and commandments? That, that made me, I used to always go, this is pointless. Why is he even saying this? And this I give unto you that you may be, may not be deceived, that you may know they are not of me. So someone's going to come. He's saying this is going to happen. Someone's going to come and try to deceive us with revelations and commandments. And we should be able to, you know, go, wait a second. And then in the next verse is what he tells us that um, we're going to be able to measure this against. For verily I say unto you that he that is ordained of me, so someone that's going to be a prophet, someone that's going to be a leader like Joseph, shall come in at the gate and be ordained as I have told you before to teach those revelations which you have received and shall receive through him whom I have appointed. So. They have to come through this gate. What is this gate? They receive the baptism of fire, the baptism of the Holy Ghost after the proper water baptism. And this isn't fake. This isn't something that you get just by getting your hands laid on you by somebody else. This is a very specific gate. And anyone who's going to lead us, give us revelations, give us commandments, 
must enter in this gate. And we will know that they have entered in this gate. This is a law given unto us. It's a commandment given unto us. And it's a warning. And this is early on. This is um, very specific and a whole, the whole chapter. That's it. This is the chapter. So it's pretty powerful. There was one more verse on there, Dustin, I think towards the end. Yeah. So he's saying, speaking to the church, purge out the iniquity, which is among you. Sanctify yourselves before me. Sanctifying yourself is purifying yourself by going to the Lord and offering up that broken heart and contrite spirit. And if ye desire the glories of the kingdom, appoint ye my servant Joseph Smith Jr. and uphold him before me by the prayer of faith. Any thoughts on that one? Well, I just I just love that connection um, be, from uh, Third Nephi that we just read when when he says uh, false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing. So then we have this idea of being like as if they are inside the compound that like we saw in that image. Uh, I don't know if maybe Mark could bring that up for us real quick. They're inside the compound and we have the sheep there. And so they're amongst the sheep and they look like sheep. But uh, interestingly, if they didn't get in through the gate and this, these these sheep that he says, they're inward ravening wolves. Well, um, a good friend pointed out to me, let's uh, go here. And we're going to look at John 10. Good friend pointed this out to me. Look at this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door, same thing, into the sheepfold, that little compound, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, etc., etc. So he's he's saying, look, that's the same thing, right? And and this applies to all of us. But he's definitely talking about by those who would, you know, pretend to be uh, these a leader that hasn't entered in by that gate, which is that baptism. And why is he telling us this? Well, first, John 10, 9 and John 10, 3, the translation is, is different in the uh, New Times version and a couple other ones. And it says gate. It doesn't say door, which is very interesting. So it says enter in at the gate, not enter in at the door. Um, but 9, I am the door. And the other translations say I am the gate. By me, if any man... Um, Enter in, he shall be saved. And then verse three, just further up, which is right after those first two verses that you just read, uh, to him, the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. So Christ is the shepherd. Christ is, is the gate. And why, why in the world is the Lord giving us this very distinct commandment? He's given it to us as a law. Why do we even need this? If we don't have to question anything and if we, that's a whole nother level that we don't have to go into right now, but he's telling specifically, we have to enter into this gate. Anyone else who doesn't enter this gate, like you said, as a wolf is someone that's coming in any other way as a robber, a thief in the night, other scriptures support that. Um, why do we even need it? Unless this is very specific, this gate must be entered into not just by us as following our, um, our path for redemption and salvation, but for those who desire to lead us and give us revelations and commandments kind of. A- yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I love that. And I just drew real quick, just for reference, cause you were talking about this. I pulled it up on, on Bible hub. Uh, so John 10, nine, 
Same with all the other ones. It gives you all the versions. Gate, gate, door, gate, door, 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 door. So gate, gate, door. Yeah, so several doors, several gates, same idea. So, uh, and any, you know, the imagery is the same because a door and a gate do the exact same thing, but the gate quickly ties it into everything else. So, um, uh, yeah, super pertinent. I absolutely love it. Awesome. Thank you for that. So now we're going to jump to third Nephi 18, 10 through 14. And this is just um, Christ pretty clearly saying there's no more than this. Once again, just as said was what was said before, anything more or less than this is cometh of evil. He's basically saying the same thing again. Anything more or less than this is not of my doctrine. And once again, he's teaching the disciples after the disciples, after they'd had their um, ordinances and they particular sacrament. That's what's going on right now. And he's done a bunch of teaching so far. Um, he says, Yea, for this thing which you have done, for this is fulfilling my commandments, and, and this death witness unto the Father that you are willing to do that which I have commanded you. Now we keep saying willing to do the commandments of the Father, that can that actually connects, and I'll just read them out real quick. Third Nephi twelve nineteen, Matthew seven thirteen, second Nephi thirty one seven, and second Nephi thirty one eighteen, they all mm-hmm. say do the will of the Father, and they all connect back to the water baptism and a baptism of fire baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he's connecting right here again willingness to do the father's will and so the word association father's will is those things and this shall you always do to those who repent and are baptized in my name and you shall do it in remembrance of my blood so he's talking about the sacrament and then go down to 12 so that we can always have a spirit to with us and i give unto you a commandment that ye shall do these things and if ye shall always do these things blessed are ye for you built upon my rock remember earlier it talked about the rock we we're building upon his rock when we repent, believe in Christ, baptism of water, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. But whoso among you shall do more or less than these, anything more or less than these very specific things that we can see we are, are laid out very, very clearly. But are, they are built upon a sounding foundation. And when the rains descend and the floods come and the winds blow and beat upon them, they shall fall. And what gate are we in, Dustin, again, when this happens? The one no one wants to be in. <laughs> I don't want to be in the gate of hell. There's actually the doctrine and covenants. When I was researching this, there's more reference to the gates of hell than there is to the gates of heaven, which maybe gives us a little bit of a understanding of what was going on in that time. They were constantly being told they were going to be snatched up by the gates of hell, which is pretty overwhelming. But right here, Christ, like, don't add anything to this. This is the most correct book on the earth. This is the purest form of doctrine. We have to keep in mind, we know that pure doctrine was taken. We know that the plain and precious truths were taken. And then what does Nephi say? I have a plain, plain truth that I'm going to lay out to you. Very simple, very clear, very plain. So we know what Nephi is teaching is the plain truth that was lost from the Bible. It, the, the, the association there is so clear. And so, um, Therefore, blessed are ye if ye shall keep my commandments, which the Father hath commanded me that I should give unto you. So what are those commandments? That goes back to all the other times he said, doing the will of the Father and being obedient. And then when Christ says, I did the will of the Father by being baptized, receiving baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then enduring to the end by following his voice. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I that 
you hit you touched on everything I was going to say. So that was awesome. <laughs> All right. Um, the next portion that I wanted to go into these, we'll just go through these really, really quick. So we've got 35, 27, 20 through 21, and then we'll touch on 20 through 33. So these just clarify that the Holy Ghost sanctifies and that this is Christ's gospel. And then 28 through 33 touch on um, Christ ending all of his teachings pretty clearly saying to enter into the gate. So um, Holy Ghost is the one that's going to sanctify here. And now this commandment, repent on the ends of the earth. Come unto me, baptize my name, that you may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost. Okay, that's the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. That you may stand spotless before me at the last day. Verily I say unto you, this is my gospel. So this is my doctrine, this is my gospel. Those are interchangeable. And ye may know the things that ye must do in my church for the works which ye have seen me do. What did Nephi say? I saw this happen with Jesus Christ. He says that. So which ye have seen me do, that ye also do. For that which ye have seen me do, even that shall ye do. So it's so clear. We, we complicate this and say we need all of these things. We have to do all this stuff for salvation. We just had Nephi say, I saw him go to John the Baptist, get baptized by proper authority. And then the father, because of his heart, gives him the baptism by baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he enters into that gate. And we are commanded to enter into the gate. That's all the Lord has commanded us right now is to enter into that gate. And that's the process. Yeah, let me interject real quick. So uh, anytime we see this description, which is very frequently in the scriptures, uh, this description of the of being baptized and then fire in the Holy Ghost, or right here, different verbiage, like you said, uh, by the reception of the Holy Ghost. So the reception of the Holy Ghost is the baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost. That is when you receive the Holy Ghost. So when that's what they're telling you, telling you in the in the confirmation, right? And I say unto you, receive the Holy Ghost, which means I say unto you, go get the baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost. And that's done by that process of, of equating phrases in Scripture. Where it's like, well, this verse says this, and this verse says something basically similar, but it uses this phrase instead. Usually that's what we call, you know, equation. Uh, this phrase means the same as that phrase, and then that's exactly what you said when it said the gospel. This is That's an equation, gospel and doctrine. I see so many discussions in a lot of these, um, uh, you know, gospel-related Facebook groups, and people ask very frequently, what's the difference between the doctrine of Christ and the gospel of Christ? And I always comment, I promise they're the same thing. And I usually get 20 opinions where they say, no, the gospel is more like this and the doctrine is more like this. No, 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 no. Every instance where it says, this is my gospel or this is my doctrine or the doctrine of Christ or the gospel of Christ, it, d- it literally defines it the same way. You can't have, you can't have a difference. Not, not, you know, at least not that I've been able to see. And we overcomplicate it. I feel like, I feel like we, we make all of these things where we're the Jews. I can't, I can't say that enough. We're the Jews. We, we, we can only take so many steps in this day and we can only do this. And then we're saved. And Christ has laid it out so clear. Do this. I've seen. And then he gives all these witnesses. Nephi says it. All these people have say what they've seen. And then they have Heavenly Father come in as a witness. They have the Holy Ghost come in as a witness. They have Christ himself saying it. I, he can't say it anymore. This is the gate to do these things. Right. And, and then let's go to Doctrine and Covenants 10. 62 through 69. Oh, did you want to get those, uh, the other verses in 35, 27 or? Go ahead. Yes. We, well, we can't, it just goes into all, um, ends all of his teachings by saying, enter in at the gate. 
So he quotes that one more time. If you already have it open, we can pull it up or you can go to DNC 20 or DNC 10. What is neat to see is once you start seeing these patterns, you see what Christ is trying to do. You see how he's rounding off everything. He's constantly dropping those. This is my doctrine. And then gate. He rarely says this is my doctrine without saying gate. You pretty much all they always go hand in hand. So and now I go unto the father. This is right as he's leaving. And verily I say unto you, whatsoever things ye shall ask the Father in my name shall be given unto you. Therefore ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For he that asketh, receiveth and unto him that knocketh, it shall be opened. This goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. We're here on this earth to build a relationship with our Heavenly Father and our Savior. We only do that by asking and receiving. If we're feasting only when we have an awesome gospel study that we're listening to somebody, sorry, someone else do, or if we're only feasting when we're listening to conference, we're failing. We should be feasting when we have questions and we are taking those, studying it out in our heart and mind and going to the Lord. That's when our most powerful gospel study and our most powerful experiences should be happening is when we're going to the Lord, that's building that relationship. And so we're saying, therefore ask and you'll receive He's promising. And now behold, my joy is great, even unto fullness because of you. Um, he's talking about the generation that has uh, he just is sitting there with and giving all these ordinances, giving his a fullness of his gospel to. Um, and then behold, I would that you should understand, for I mean them which are now alive of this generation, not them which are lost. So he knows that soon it's going to fall away. There's constantly falling away. Anytime the gospel is restored, it was restored right here. They had a fullness. It says that they receive a fullness and Christ even has a fullness of joy because of them. Um, if it doesn't it end in Zion, it ends in what? It ends in a falling away. So we don't see Zion. Let's just keep that in mind where we are. But behold, it's sorrow with me because of the fourth generation. And then we're going to go down just a little bit more to 33. And so he, he says right there, they're going to be destroyed. And it came to pass when Jesus said, end of these sayings and his disciples, he said, um, said unto his disciples. So he looks at his disciples. He's teaching everybody. And then picture him going, he specifically says, he ended these sayings and he said unto his disciples, not to the whole group, to his disciples, he's saying, enter ye in at the straight gate. For straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life and few there be that find it. But wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to death and many there be that travel therein until the night cometh wherein no man can work. He's specifying that just for his disciples. Now they're going to teach everybody it, but the last thing he's saying to them, that's pretty powerful, right? Well, well let me interject. So let me, let me, Pose a conundrum. It, I agree. I agree that he definitely says he turns to the disciples and he says that. But it was it was eight chapters ago that the disciples entered the gate by receiving the Holy Ghost and had the baptism from the Holy Ghost. So why why is he saying that? So there, it, this goes back to what we're going to touch on. What is um, the process to enter into that gate? Is it just you get a baptism and then the Lord gives you the baptism by the baptism of the Holy Ghost? What do we have to do? And that's where we're going to touch on some other scriptures here in a little bit. But you don't you enter in the gate through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but then you have to keep offering something up. What is he telling them to off keep keep going to and offering that the end of that says, can you pull it back up? Sorry. So broad is the way which leads to death. Many there be that travel in until the night cometh wherein no man can work. So there's lots more work 
that can be done after that. And that's what he's, I think that, that that's one of the things that he's asking them to go and do. There's more offering up that happens, the camel taking off all the burdens and then kneeling and crawling through that little space. Once you get through, I think that there's a lot more of that process that has to happen. And we'll touch on that after we get through these last couple of chapters or last couple of ones. So the next one, did I, did I somewhat touch on that or did you have anything you wanted to play devil's advocate with? No, I, it was just a curiosity that I had. I, so I hadn't come to any conclusions. I like I like that answer. Also, I will, I will say that an, an additional thought that probably fits in right along with that is um, by saying it to the disciples, it's that same pattern that we get in the Doctrine and Covenants where he said, this is a pattern for the disciples who should lead you. So, so even though those disciples had experienced it, he turns to them and says, by the way, all of y'all that are in this position, you got to enter the gate. So, I, but that it, it fits. I'm not hundred percent sure if that's what he means. Well, that's funny. I did write that in my notes. So he's giving the same admonition to disciples that we had in 45. So that's great. And we will, we see that elsewhere, but we don't want to go too long. So I, I didn't go into all of them. So you totally came to the same conclusion I did. DNC 33, 11 through 16 is another really. Wait, is it 33 or 10? Um, now we're in DC 33. So we just did 10. Didn't we just do 10 or no, do we not? We didn't. DNC 10. Sorry. DNC 10, 62 through 69. And this is when the church is very early on. So very young. And what is the Lord admonishing and giving to all of us? I, I love DNC 10. DNC 33 are fan, uh, fascinating pieces when, when you look at it with this background. So 62. Yea, and I will also bring to light my gospel, which was ministered unto them. And behold, they shall not deny that which you have received, but they shall build it up and shall bring to light the true points of my doctrine. We know what the true points of the doctrine are. Yea, and the only doctrine which is in me. This is Christ talking. And this I do that I may establish my gospel, my doctrine, that there may not be so much contention. We've already touched on the contention issue. Anytime Christ gives something, even all the letters that, you know, are written in the Bible and back and forth after the gospels, people are constantly confusing things and they have to be constantly corrected. So it's just interesting that even in the early church, we've got, we see this. Yea, Satan does stir up the hearts of the people to contention concerning the points of my doctrine. And yeah, in let, me, let me interject there for a quick sec, because I, I just want to point out that, again, like you're showing, if you can't see the equation here where he says doctrine and then he says gospel as if he's talking about the same thing, because he is, but in case you want to argue that he's not, then he immediately goes back to saying doctrine again. So the Lord is very uh, purposeful when he does, when he speaks like this. And so, do the, so are the prophets when they're speaking for him in the scriptures where they're doing this constant interchange. I think it's really important. So I just like to point that out. That's perfect. I love that. Thank you. Um, do, contention concerning the points of the doctrine. And in these things, do they err? They do rest the scriptures and do not understand them. So how important is it when you study the scriptures, you see these patterns you, the spirit is able to manifest the truth to you. If you study it, willing to be taught. Remember, if I'm reading this, I go, oh, I know this. I'm moving on. The Lord can't teach me. It's when I go, I want to unlearn and I want you to teach me. Take, take all the falsehoods away. Take all my preconceived notions and you teach me. Then we're not resting the scriptures and we're feasting. And we're going to go down. Therefore, I will unfold unto them this great mystery. Here's a mystery. 
We're being told what the mystery is. This is exciting, right? Everybody should be on the edge of their seats. For behold, I will gather them as a hen gathereth her, her chickens. And immediately I was like, oh, he's quoting Isaiah. You know, don't do that. Isaiah is fascinating. So just listen to this. He's going to gather. He's going to gather them as the hen gathers the chickens. If they will not harden their hearts. So we've, had, we've touched on a lot of hearts. We had two hearts that we talked about before. Um, prideful hearts. Oh, that was actually, I think, Helaman. We didn't quite touch on that. But Helaman 3, 26, 35 touches on the different hearts. Prideful heart or giving your heart to the Lord. If they will come, they may and partake of the waters of life freely. Behold, this is my doctrine. Whoso repenteth and cometh unto me, Christ, not anyone else, Christ, the same as my church. Whosoever declareth more or less than this. So we know by this statement, we know that he's connecting this doctrine, even if the words aren't fully the same, to all the other times he said, this is my doctrine in, in the Book of Mormon. This right. is- can, I, can I interject on that real quick? Uh, that I love that because you have it now, now you have a new phrase to to combine with everything that we talked about the whole earlier part of this discussion that what's my doctrine that's all this stuff right and we see repent matches and we come unto me matches but now we have the word church which was never in any other ones and it's like oh wait a minute so now if you do if you do the repent part and come unto me part which is be baptized and receive all three parts of baptism then okay so that's what his church is and this is where um this is where it's important to be able to do those interchanges those those equating phrases uh, because otherwise someone might accuse you of saying, well, wait a minute, now you're adding, now you're adding to this, you know, now you're adding to this because being part of the church had nothing to do with his doctrine. And it's like, well, it's the same thing. Like being part of the church means you've received those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he says, you know, my church, uh, the body, those that come to him, they are my church. So yeah. And there's, there's a couple more that we can go to that support that. If we need to, we can go in and support that. Whosoever declareth more or less than this, the same is not of me, but is against me. Therefore, he is not of my church. Very interesting. And so Jacob uh, or Helaman 3.26 does talk about that. The gate is open to all who believe. Helaman says that and that they are his church. Let's, um, I'll finish reading this and then we're going to go to Helaman just because this connects perfectly to Helaman, just like you said. So 69. And now behold, whosoever is of my church, that again, and endureth of my church to to the end, him will I establish upon my rock. We know what the rock is. The rock is baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost after receiving a true baptism of water and entering in at the gate. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. Why? Because now you're in the gate. You're in the good gate, not the bad gate. And so I'm going to have you real quick go to Helaman 3, 26 through 35. Just because we touched on the church and we're touching on the two forms of heart, I just feel like this is a good one that we should go into. And then, so. Helaman is fascinating here. I love the way he lays it out. And he came to pass it. He's, they've been going through and baptizing tons, right? They're going through and teaching everybody and they're having lots of success. And he came to pass that the work of the Lord to prosper into the baptizing, uniting to the church of God. So there we go. There's that church. Um, many souls, yea, even tens of thousands. Thus we may see that the Lord is merciful unto all who will. In sincerity of their hearts, there's a measure of your heart. No one else knows the measure of our heart but Christ. And Heavenly Father, call upon his holy name. So once again, we're not calling to anybody else. We're not going to anybody else. We're only going to Christ. Yea, thus we see that the gate of heaven is open unto all, even to those who will believe on the name of Jesus Christ. That gate seems pretty accessible, right? If we know what we're looking for and we know what we need to do. And then 29, and we see that whosoever 
will may lay hold upon the word of God, which is quick and powerful, which shall divide asunder all the cunning and the snares and the walls of the devil and lead the man of Christ to a straight and narrow course. That's referencing gate across the everlasting gulf of misery, which is prepared to engulf the wicked and land their souls, neither immortal souls at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven, get in the kingdom through the gate and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all of the Holy fathers to go nowhere out. Any, anything on that before I move forward? Uh, only, only that uh, it says, you know, it says it's open to all. It doesn't doesn't really give much commentary in this passage. It takes the other passages on the fact, like we said, very beginning, the very first passage you read. It's like, well, it's open to all, but most people pursue the other gate, right? So it's it's uh it's something that anyone can come to, but not many are gonna. Right, and that's what's fa- what's really great about this next part is. He's in, he, he's going on to say, oh, well, the church was doing great with all these baptisms. But then what happens um, if you just go up to 34, just to give a little bit more context? Um, there was a little pride that comes in. And it's, he specifically says not into the church of God, but into the hearts of the people who profess to belong to the church of God. So it comes into the heart. So you've got a, a one level of heart of pride there. They're professing to belong. That means they're going and they're with them. You can't profess to be long if you're just sitting in your house and you have no, you know, intercourse with these other people. Obviously, they're there and they're with them. Um, and it says what those people are doing. But then in 35, he says, nevertheless, they did fast and pray often, did wax stronger and stronger in their humility and firmer and firmer in the faith of Christ and to the fulfilling their souls with joy and consolation, yet even to the purifying and sanctifying, that's the Holy Ghost, of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. So two different levels of hearts here. We've got a prideful heart and then we've got a willing to offer up the burden, kneel down like the camel and enter into that straight gate. Right. Um, so these churches, the church, just because they say they're a member of the church doesn't mean they are. Christ knows their heart and Christ knows everybody's heart. And that's what makes you a member of Christ's body, a body of Christ. The church of Christ is your heart, not what someone said sitting behind a desk saying, hey, you're in, you're good. Right. There's no there's there's no one being employed at that gate. Well, uh, I will. That's where I want to caution myself, the reader, with a new understanding where my previous understanding was, well, if I had a good heart, then I was in I was in the fold. And and, and so if if we're going to say it's your heart, then I then I would say, well, it, then it has to be a heart that's been wrought upon and sanctified by the Holy Ghost and received it. So. Um, so, so for me, you know, I'm not going to say don't use that phrase, but for me, I'm not going to use that phrase because it sounds too much like the kumbaya, anyone that feels good towards Christ, then that's who we're referring to and they're in the church. So for me, I'm not going to use that phrase. I'm going to use, I'm going to use the other phrase and say, okay, well, those who professed to belong to the church, as we saw right there um, in verse 33, uh, those who professed to belong to the church, well, that means those who were baptized into the church so by water. Those who were baptized into the church by water, but they didn't actually belong to the church because he he specifies not into the church of God. Uh, in other words, those who had actually received the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, which are the true church of God, those people weren't doing that. These are people that hadn't actually passed through the gate yet who were acting like this. So that that gives this idea of, okay, well, even though we have this uh, imagery of... Um, the the fold here uh inside the wall 
it's not something that we readily see because we're all just intermixed together and there's no actual physical wall that separates you and me if you've had the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost and I haven't. I that's not it's it's not visual. It's not it's not something that we can just tell like that. So so that means all of the members of the church are all mixed in together, but but Mormon is being very specific that well, but you're all in the church, but you're not all actually in the church. And that's why I love I, I love that you point that out because that that is where that last part says they gave themselves to much fasting and much prayer and sanctification, which isn't just a oh I feel great I love being out in nature and so I'm worshiping. It is effort and time and love and sacrifice and that takes us into what that covenant is that is so important to enter into that gets you through that gate. Yeah, we probably <laughs> one more scripture. So. If we were to just do one more scripture, then let's, we can't, this is a whole nother podcast and lots of podcasts have been done on it. So if you're sitting there going, okay, well, how do I get my baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? If this is the gate, because we're pretty clear that um, this, there's a very real gate you have to enter into. And then even after entering into that gate, what do you have? You have a lot more to do by following the voice of the Lord. So let's go to third Nephi 19, nine and 13. Or might even scroll down to 20 for that one. And there's the 19. Yeah. There's a lot more that we can put in here for others to, to study that later. By 19, nine. Um, so they're here praying to receive the Holy Ghost. Um, go down to 13. When they were all baptized and had... Um, come upon the water, the Holy Ghost to fall upon them, and they're filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire, and then go down to 20. And he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast given them the Holy Ghost unto these whom I have chosen. It is because of their belief in me, and I have chosen them out of the world, and I'm so sorry. I am going to have to ask for one more scripture. So that's that's the pattern that leads into how is it that they, did they receive that process of the Holy Ghost? And we're going to go to 2 Nephi I told you for a second. Second Nephi two six. And so, once again, the gate is very clear. It's the baptism of fire, fire baptism of the Holy Ghost after a proper water baptism that comes from the Father. Well, how does He know your heart that you can even enter into that? That's the new and everlasting covenant spoken of, of the broken heart and the contrite spirit. And so, let's see. Six. So redemption cometh through the Holy One. This actually isn't it. <laughs> Go to. Um, you're, you're throwing me off. Read the next verse. Oh, I. Where is it? I can't see this word. Sorry. We start at the top of the pair. I'll start. Wherefore redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, for he's full of grace and truth. He offered himself the sacrifice for sin to answer the end of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and contrite spirit, and unto none else can the end of the law be answered. So that's exactly it. Thank you. That that was perfect. So there's lots more that say this. So we won't go into all of them because we're already going really late. Um, but Dustin, I think that we've laid it out pretty clearly here. What the gate is, it's a very real thing. It's not hyperbole just to be out there for fun to picture camels going through needles. It's it's real. We have to enter into it. Um, our, those who represent us or who want to bring us commandments have to enter into it. And the process to enter into it is taking those burdens off of us. Um, kneeling down before the Lord, broken heart, 
uh, contrite spirit, giving everything over to him. And only he knows our heart. He measures it. No one else, which is how we're not going to be able to know, like you just explained. Um, I think it's pretty clear. Did you have anything else you want to pinpoint? Uh, no, we'll wrap up there because uh, we've got some awesome comments and questions that uh, we're going to bring in a couple of people here to discuss. Uh, so one of them that uh, Mark had is from Justin Griffin. So Justin, you're up. Why don't you come on in? Am I in? Oh, you can see me? This is great. Hey, guys. My question is, once you've entered the gate, can you, you know... And you're redeemed. Can you ever lose that? Sure, Dustin has something to say on that. But we're told specifically in 2 Nephi 31, in the middle of that chiasmus, that those who do um, deny the Holy Ghost, so not just a little mistake, but a pretty big mistake, completely going against everything that they know, um, just like denying the sun right before them, it would be better that they had not been born. So it's possible to screw up after you get it. Um, and we also know through Lehi's dream that there are people who enter in the gate and follow on the path. And even after partaking of the fruit, which um, is a whole nother level here that we don't have time to go into, but even they fall away. So, yes, it's definitely possible. Yeah, I'll just jump in real quick. Uh, Malia, it's going right where I'm thinking. I go right to the right to the vision of the tree of life and uh, they entering at the gate, they're on the path, they're following the iron rod, mists of darkness come and overcome some of them that let go of the iron rod, and they wander in strange paths and are lost, right? Uh, those people kind of wander off. And then, of course, the other group that Malia mentioned. So uh, I would say yes, um, hypothetically, but do you want to add more to that, Justin? Yeah, so you're going to still sin and, you know, from what I understand, be delivered over to the buffetings of Satan, I mean, is it like a free ride from then on? Or if you have that attitude, that means you're denying the Holy Ghost. It's a good question. Um, as far as the first part, you still sin. Yes, absolutely. You're, we're going to screw up constantly. I think the biggest, one of the biggest issues that we have is is the way we believe things to pan out. You know, we, we're look at the, <laughs> look at the Israelites. They're like, Oh, this guy's going to come and save us. And we're going to march out of um, bondage and it's going to be fantastic. And look how it turned out. Was it fantastic for them? No, they tried to kill Moses several times. They were starving in the desert. They wish they, they want to go back to bondage for goodness sakes. We have this idea of, Oh, well, if I get to here, then I'll be fantastic. And look at new converts. Oh, if I get baptized, then I'm going to be great. And they're not it's still them. They're still life. They're still changing and growing. So Entering into this gate is, yes, you have to do it. It's a part of the process of salvation. However, you're still you. The thing that has changed, Christ is really clear on it. He says, you've gotten here by nothing except for faith in Christ, uh, nothing of yourself. And so he's like, now you're now the real work is going to start. Now really heeding the voice of the spirit and um, change that all those changes of hearts and constantly going to the Lord. You're just now in the gate, you know, so to think that, oh, well, we can't screw up or, oh, if we screw up, that's it. Uh, no, we've got to get rid of all those ideas of of what all of a sudden something happens and now we're a completely new person. No, we're, we're just barely. It's like a babe on a mother's lap um, trying to figure things out, I think, just when we enter that gate. And so keep that in mind. Dustin, you're muted. Uh, yeah, I didn't know if Justin had any more follow up. Was there any more, Justin? 
No, thank you for your. Hey, thanks for jumping on. And okay, question from Mark. Yeah, come on in, Mark. Can you hear me? There you go. So, a question I hear a lot is obviously um, it goes back to that robber scripture, right? Anyone who comes in and is a shepherd among the the sheep who has come into the flock by any other way, but through that gate is a robber, right? So we have other factors where, you know, succession or ordinations or all these other things, people would claim the ability to be a shepherd in Israel. What are your thoughts in regards to, um, you know, people receiving ordinations into this or living longer than their peer set. And now they're in charge of the flock or, you know, any other of these factors that we hear of today, um, with different churches. And do you think um, that, you know, baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost makes somebody automatically a shepherd in Israel? Or is there something in addition to being born again that makes somebody in charge of a flock, right? That's kind of a question I've been wondering for some time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to, I was going to give that one over to you first. You just did a couple really good podcasts on those that are fresh in your mind. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, well, the very last question, I'd say no, and that's just through um, scriptural examples, uh, at least inherently. I mean, you got this idea that um, as soon as it happens, you are supposed to go share it, but that doesn't necessarily make you a shepherd. It makes you a share herd. Okay, that's a terrible joke, but <laughs> sure, <laughs> but, but you're supposed to go share when it happens to you, absolutely, but not necessarily a shepherd, and, and that's... Uh, just, you know, number of scriptural examples. That's absolutely a good question. Um, but as far as the other part, um, well, it's a little bit ambiguous. So what, what's the, what's the right at the heart of the question? So I was just wondering, so obviously it's a, it's a one way street. We read about where in order to be a shepherd, you have to pass through that gate. I was just wondering if there's anything that indicates that are people who pass through that gate automatically shepherds, or is there something else that needs to be snapped on in order to make that an official thing? Right. Oh yeah, great question. So um we have the idea and I shared about this last week, but the idea of the chair of Moses or the seat of Moses. And that's definitely part of it. Um number of scriptural examples that talk about the idea of ordained and we we read it in uh, section uh, 43 when we were looking at that example of, you know, if you haven't come in by the gate, don't receive anything that he says. Well, but right before that, he talked about ordaining people to do all this stuff. So, uh, and same thing with those disciples uh, that we were reading in Third Nephi. He literally calls them out of the crowd. There's 2,500 people there. They're all awesome. And they all eventually receive this. And we know that from later, you know, Mormon telling us how all this stuff. Well, he calls out those 12 men from the 2,500 crowd. And he's like, I'm going to give you power and you give these power. And then all that happens. So, so I would say there's some other process that's got to be involved. Gotcha. Thanks so much. I'm going to bow out now. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks. To piggyback on that, too, I I mean, there's also the um, uh, Oliver Cowdery gave all of the apostles the charge, the apostolic charge. And that was pretty clear that there's a lot more that is expected of someone to be a special witness of Christ himself. So to be that special witness, there is a lot more to go into that. Yeah, see, any other questions you want to throw out there, Mark? We appreciate everybody's comments and questions. These are absolutely fantastic. So uh, if 
you know, and we are going to be moving over for more open discussion uh, in our Zoom link. So uh, as soon as we finish with that, we are going there to have more interactive uh, Q&A. We appreciate those who have joined us to be featured on our live stream um, live every week, Mondays and Tuesdays here on Zoom and also through our Facebook page. So, and you can see that link on the screen. Uh, I also can post it in the comments. You'll have to copy it and paste it, by the way. Uh, so I don't know if, if the live, I don't think the live, when you're looking at the feed live right in front of you on your phone, I don't think it's hyperlinked. So you'll have to drag it and copy it and open it in a browser and go to it. So, so we'll head over there um, for the rest of this discussion. So we'll see you guys there shortly in just a couple minutes. Head over there. And uh, thanks so much, Malia. Thanks, everybody else, for participating.